Book Stew viewers and listeners, I am speaking to you from home, which is kind of amazing, because my guest is in London, and between her career, my retirement, and time frames, it was tough to get together at a time when I'd be in the studio, professionally lit, surrounded by competent people. So now I'm just my incompetent self from home, and hopefully... Uh, the dog won't come in and demand to be let out. So let me introduce you to my guest. This is Allie Bryden, and she is both an author and an editor. I've never had anyone on the show who's done both of these roles. So this is kind of new to me. So uh, welcome, Allie, to Bookstube from London. And we do share a common connection, which is the wonderful place we grew up in. Absolutely, Long Beach. So how long did you live in Long Beach for? Oh my goodness, my whole childhood. Um, I was born there and I went to school there and I left at 18, but then I came back, of course, as you do, uh, after college for a year, my wonderful parents let me camp out with them uh, for an extra year before I I left the nest for good. Um, But I love to go back there. Um, I only recently moved to the UK. It was about three years ago. And so, you know, it's not as easy to visit now. Um, But when we were living in New York City or in Westchester, um, we would go back to Long Beach frequently. So how how did you end up moving to, to London? Had you been spending time in England before? So my husband is British, my dear, dear husband. And we met in New York because he was over uh, doing a postdoctoral fellowship. And um, yeah, so we, we got married, obviously um, lived together in New York and started a family there. And then um, a couple of years ago, he got a job over here. And so we, we moved over here for him to come back to the UK and for the family to have the British experience. Had you been an editor in New York before you left? I had, yes. Um, so by the time we left New York to come to the UK, I had been an editor for about 12 or 13 years. I was actually both a children's book editor and a children's book agent for a little while. So I've worn many different hats um, and had started my freelance editorial and writing business in 2017 and just sort of brought it all with me because as a freelance editor and writer, you can go anywhere, which is great. So um, what's the biggest difference other than terror that you can't make a living going freelance as opposed to working? I assume you worked at some publishing houses. I did. I worked in-house at Sterling Publishing for almost 10 years as an editor in their children's department, which I loved. And then I became an agent with the Bright Agency for about two and a half years. Um, Freelancing allows you freedom. You know, it's right there in the name. And there's really nothing like that. The flexibility. I have a young family. So to be able to be there for my children, to be able to work from anywhere, work from home, um, travel, obviously, and just be able to pick and choose my clients, which is exciting to have the variety. Um, When you're in-house being an editor, you're always doing that. Uh, now I can work for various different publishers. I can work for um, authors who are emerging or establishing themselves or trying to get an agent or trying to secure a publishing deal. Um, I can start, you know, I started writing when I went freelance. So um, working for publishers 
to their specifications and then also writing my original stories. So speaking of original of stories, so <laughs> everyone in the world thinks, oh, I could do a children's book and oh, I should do a children's book yeah. because everyone had a childhood. So everyone right. kind of thinks there's a book in there. What's what's wrong with that assumption? I don't think there's anything wrong with that assumption, actually. I think, yeah, if you've got a book in you, write it, put it down on paper, type it out in your computer. Um, if you want to make a career out of being an author, children's book author, you have to keep working at it. So it's not like you're gonna wake up in the morning, have a great idea for a children's book, write one draft and suddenly get published. But if you start from there and over time practice and um, study children's books and meet other children's book writers and for, you know join the community really, because it's an, a wonderful community and just learn over the course of several years, you can go from not having written any children's books to having you know uh, a tiny spark of an interest in writing children's books to actually getting pretty good at writing. So it's it's a it's a must. It's like a muscle. You have to exercise it. But it's not um, it's not as simple as people might think. Am I right? Definitely not. That's why I say you need to read a lot of children's books. You need to practice writing because there's. There's definitely a magic to it, but there's a formula to it as well. And you can study that. It's not as easy as it looks, definitely not. Because especially in picture books, which I think you and I are probably gonna talk about today, you have to condense sometimes a very large idea into a very small amount of space, 500 words maximum, really. Um, and so to be able to understand how to get a whole story across in such a short amount of time takes a lot of skill and a lot of practice. All right, well, since you did give me the opening, I'm going to share the cover. You know, it's so funny on Zoom. It looks backwards. I don't know. <laughs> we'll it looks fine to me, actually. Oh, good. good. Yep. So um, do me a favor and pronounce the name of the book in Bostonese. Okay. I, I want to give a disclaimer. Obviously, as I've just mentioned, I'm not from Boston. I'm from Long Island, New York, which has our own very wonderful accent. So I'm going to say this. I'm probably going to butcher it for your Massachusetts natives. Lobster Garden. Uh, lobster Garden lobster is probably garden. closer, but that was not a bad attempt. I mean, we've got all the history of hideous Boston accents in movies, um, and you certainly did a lot better than that. Thank you. Well, I did a lot of research watching videos of Matt Damon and Mark Wahlberg give interviews in their accents to help I, me put the glossary together and to help me try to pronounce the words right. I'm thinking um, I'm going to uh, later on in the in the show I'm going to show some pictures um, of from the book and my brother-in-law Bruce has like a great Boston accent it's natural he never lost it so because beautiful. you know there's an, a big difference between Boston and the suburbs, like the, the okay. accent really kind of um, moderates itself the further mm -hmm. away you get from the city, but it's still identifiable as local. So this book is basically about the problem of water pollution as seen through the eyes of two lobsters. Mm -hmm. ha who came up, your illustrator uh, also has a hilarious sense of humor and he, he co-wrote the book with you. Yes. So how Gerald did the idea I, come about? <laughs> so Gerald, Gerald and I co-wrote the book. He actually had the idea and he likes to say that he had the idea over dinner at Red Lobster. Um, <laughs> 
which I, I'm a vegetarian, so it slightly horrifies me, but if the spark of inspiration came from, you know, from there, that's fine. Um, so yeah, he always had the idea for this character of Walter and had him pretty fully formed in his head. And we have the same agents, uh, the wonderful Painted Words run by Lori Nowicki and Claire Easton. And um, they paired us up and Gerald and I just kind of took his idea and ran and or swam with it, I should say. And um, over the course of a few months, uh, we hammered out the plot and really developed a character of Milton in relation to Walter and sort of their odd couple status. Um, the ocean conservation message was already there. Gerald had that in his mind as well. And so we kind of teased that out in a humorous way, I guess, so that it could reach children in a way that wasn't too overbearing or scary. Um, and then of course, tons of research went into the back matter pages, which talk about ocean conservation and undersea life, and uh, also the ways that young people can go and, and help. Um, help out. And, um, and then a, a, a bit of information about the wonderful Boston accent. I thought that the, um, first of all, was it deliberate to have the good lobsters and the bad be blue and the bad lobster be red? Oh, it's interesting that you, you put those terms on them, bad and good, because I see them both as really great characters. But yeah, I think I know what you mean. Um, no, I, I think because um, blue lobsters are very rare, they're actually real. Um, it's a genetic mutation and there's, I don't even know the actual statistic, but they're, they're quite rare. I wanna throw out something like one in a hundred thousand, but I would be totally incorrect. I will do that research and get back to you if you want. Um, but I think in making Walter blue, He's also a bit blue, I suppose, that he keeps losing the Swell Gaddens contest. Um, so there's, you know, the metaphor there. But I think, you know, he's also quite a rare lobster because he's very meticulous about his garden. He is quite a buttoned-up lobster, and I, I could imagine that you would not find many lobsters in the ocean who are like him. So the rarity <laughs> comes comes across in his characterization as well. I thought that um, the what do you what do you call it when you make animals like human anamorph or whatever there's a word anthropomorphize yeah wow I don't I'm glad you said that and I did <laughs> um, it worked really well here yeah. because and, and and basically the theme of the book is that there's a contest every year for the best lobster garden and mm -hmm. the lobster garden and um, the poor blue lobster never wins and the red lobster who isn't as meticulous and isn't as careful about what he plants in his garden mm -hmm. always wins and but they do come together and I'm not you know this isn't like a mystery where I can't where there's a spoiler I mean they come together <laughs> and and find out what's causing their gardens to be covered with junk mm -hmm. and the picture uh, which I will show of the lobsterman or the fisherman, the person on a boat heaving garbage over the side. I would hope that's, you know, that's an exaggeration. So kids would understand how stuff ends up in the ocean. But mm -hmm. um, it, it was, it horrified me to see that they were doing that. And I would sure hope that nobody's doing that these days because they're yeah. ruining their own and, and their own living in their own environment. Exactly, it would be, yeah. It would be ill-advised to 
throw trash uh, into the very spot where you're fishing for, for your, you know, your lobsters. Um, but, lobsters. but you used, I, I thought there was so much humor in the book. And I bet one of the problems with dealing with children's book with a specific issue in mind and getting mm -hmm. kids to think about something is to outreach to them in a way where they think, but they also laugh and enjoy. Yeah, and I, I would touch works. I would think that um, if I gave this to a child, which I will end up doing, and then you take them to the aquarium, they make hopefully make a strong relation between, or if they go on a whale watch, or if they go in a harbor on any kind of boat ride, they they think of the two lobsters um, while they're out on the boat and participate. Absolutely, I do think that children's books have the opportunity to elicit empathy in readers, both young and not young. Um, I think it's because of the, the marriage of the text and the images it, and so much can be done in such a small space. But yeah, that I'm glad you touched upon the empathy factor because we definitely were going for that. Well, um, I, so I, you have um, a lot of books coming out in 2022 and 2023, but I also mm -hmm. want to tell our viewers and listeners about this one. Thank you. So I'm uh, a Greek myth and, and uh, Norse myth fan, and I would say fanatic actually, and which is the what a fan is and a freak of them. But this <laughs> has um, legends from other parts of the world, which I wasn't familiar with. And mm. the illustrations are beautiful. What gave you the, uh, so, how often does it happen that you come up with your own idea versus, you know, a publisher or someone comes to you and says, do you want to do this? Yeah, it's kind of 50-50 or maybe like 60-40 on the side of a publisher has an idea and they come to me. Um, so for that one in particular with Lonely Planet Kids, they did come to me with that concept. They wanted to do a, um, a, a large collection of myths and legends from all around the world. And they specifically wanted to have myths and legends from nearly every continent, not, not Antarctica. Um, but they, um, so they had an idea of the, the myths and legends that were to go into the book. And we discussed sort of having ones that were not necessarily taught in schools in the, your regular canon. So you, you talk about Greek myths and Norse myths, um, Roman myths are also very popular. Um, and we did include some of those, but I think, the great part about this book is that it will introduce children to myths and legends from Asia, from Australia, from um, the Americas. There's some great Native American um, and Native South American tales in there. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you are a myths and legends fanatic and that you have the book. And the art is absolutely wonderful. I agree with you. Julia Iredale did an amazing job um, with it. So yeah, so they came to me. So Lonely Planet Kids came to me with this idea and, and a little bit of research. And then I sort of fleshed out the research with my own. And um, in some of them, I put a little bit of a feminist slant on the myths and legends uh, where I could, um, and just had a blast writing this book. I, I wrote this book, it's very long. I think it wound up being 40,000 words typed up. And it, I think I had about six weeks to write it. Ooh, it was interesting. It was fun, it was really fun, but on for sure. So how much of your time is spent editing and consulting client with clients and how much is spent on writing these books? 
it fluctuates depending on the time of year and you know whether we're in a pandemic or not. Um, so right now, currently, I'm doing so much more editorial work than writing work. But back in the spring, I was doing tons of writing work and less editorial work. So it really, it balances itself out, I guess, over the course of the year, but it ebbs and flows. And uh, how about the difference between doing your job in the UK and doing it in the United States as far as, let's say, environments for editors and writers? Do you feel like there's uh, any kind of basic differences in the way um, you're handled, let's say, by the press, um, by your neighbors when you tell them what you do. I, I, I don't, you wouldn't think there would be, but I'm curious about it because, of course, to most of us, uh, being, and I'm also a slight Anglophile, that I, you know, I believe, you know, when you look at the, at Britain and the basis of all that literature that's there, mm -hmm. which a lot of us are working to try to decentralize ourselves from that and realize mm -hmm. that literature comes from all over the world, not just, you know, Shakespeare. Um, yeah. Ha, like, how do you feel about that? Or do you notice a difference? Yeah, well, there is a very long literary uh, tradition here in Britain, which feels a little daunting. Um, you know, in terms of the only thing that's different to me between the UK and the US is the style of children's books in the two different markets. And because I do work across both markets, I have my finger on the pulse of what's going on in both markets. But in terms of how I'm received as an author, um, it's hard to say because I didn't start publishing until after I moved here. Uh. And I've had an amazing reception um, to myself as an author and my work here. Uh, we have this amazing local bookstore in our town that has supported me from the beginning. They're fantastic. Um, and I think you'll definitely see that all across the UK, but you'll also see that in the US. Um, so I don't know that there's necessarily a difference in terms of the way you're framing it, but um, in terms of like the sizes of the publishing industries between the UK and the US, the US is much larger. Um, there's, I think a little bit more innovation happening in the US in terms of topics and styles of children's books that are being published as opposed to the UK, um, but the UK is catching up. So yeah, I mean, there's the art styles are very different. Like what is um, attractive to a UK audience is different from what's attractive to a US audience. And there is some crossover, but yeah. So those are the main differences. I think. How so on the attractions to the audience? Is there any way you can kind of define what the difference would be? I can probably show you more than I can explain. Oh, that would be but, awesome. Uh, I mean, I don't have I don't have any materials here with me right now to show you. Um, I can send you some if you would like Great. to put it in the broadcast. Um, but even like in terms of the, when you have a character, a child character, or even an animal character in a children's book in the UK, as opposed to the US, the style will be different. So like the, the eyes will be a different shape and style. So you could have like dot eyes or these big round eyes with dots in the middle or cartoon eyes. And then there's sort of like a very slick Hollywood style that is more, um, goes down better in the US. Uh, the body shapes and the head shapes of the kids in the UK and in, in um, the illustrations is very different from the way it is in the US. So I could definitely um, provide you some supporting materials, but. Um, oh, that would, that would be yeah. wonderful. But yeah. then does that mean that in the UK you have a JK Rowling style? Is everything like Harry Potter art? <laughs> No, I don't think so. And I think that's a totally different part of the market as well as, as opposed to the picture books that I'm 
talking about, like, because Harry Potter is, we call it middle grade to young adult fiction. So that's ages eight and up, right? So, um, and then picture books are for ages two till six or seven. Um, and I wouldn't say that there is a, like, it's been Harry Potterized, but there's definitely like a classic British children's illustration style um, that has like a very Beatrix Potter feel to it. Uh, it's very like quaint and gentle. We um, need the poo. People, yeah. Yeah. But people are moving away from that for sure. And in terms of the difference between UK and US styles is that UK texts are much longer. So there's a lot more text in a UK picture book than there would be in a, a picture book in the US. For the most part, obviously there are exceptions to the rule. Is there crossover or like, um, is, yes. did Lobster Garden go to, uh, go to England? It can be bought here in England. It's not been, um, I, so what, what source books my publisher is doing is distributing it. So rather than have a publishing partner here in the UK that will sell it and market it here, they are basically selling it directly into the UK marketplace. Um, so it's a bit of a different animal, I guess. It's hard without boring you and your your viewers and listeners too much uh, with with that sort of publishing speak. Um, but there is definitely crossover appeal between the two markets. Um, you'll have, um, yeah, you'll have authors who are really popular here that in the UK that make it over to the US, and authors who are really popular in the US who make it over um, to the UK. Now, do you do you have children? I do, I've got two. And what are they reading? Well, so my older one is nine, almost 10, and he's reading whatever he can get his hands on. And currently it's Lord of the Rings, all uh, three yay. of the books. Um, he's in, I think, right at the beginning of the second book. It's one of those collections of it. So it's this giant brick of a paperback <laughs> and he's just going straight through. But he's also currently reading um, like books about soccer stars. <laughs> um, and he's, he's sort of like an omnivore when it comes to reading. My little one who's six, um, he still likes me to read picture books to him, which is Aww. the best. Sometimes my older one lets me read picture books to him too, which is also the best. Um, and for the most part, he's reading himself sort of like the easy to read or leveled readers that his school is sending home because he's still very much an emerging reader. But we are starting to get into, there's some really great, graphic novels and graphic novel series for his age specifically that are really sort of that bridge between picture book reading and chapter book reading. So we're getting into some of those too. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of them as that way because I can remember it being in East School in Long Beach, New York mm -hmm. and moving Same. from picture <laughs> books to chapter books. And at first I was very upset because they just seemed like uninterrupted blocks of text no and pictures. boring. Yeah, where's the pictures? But then I I realized how grown up it made me feel mm. to be able to read books without pictures. And eventually as an adult and an old, older adult, um, I started really enjoying graphic novels because I love cartoonists, not like Marvel and DC, not mm -hmm. superheroes, but you know, Alison Bechdel and mm -hmm. Amy Pond and a whole bunch of people who do graphic novels that I yeah. just love. And so to me, that's like the best of both worlds. Yeah, it's really great. And to be able to read them alongside my, my kids is fantastic because my older one has been reading some longer graphic novels as well. And it's just really 
has he ever, your older one, ever brought home anything that you, I mean, are you judgy McJudge face when he brings home books nope. and you're like, you try to not be judgmental, even though you, you yeah. in your head, you're going, oh, this is awful. Where was the editor? <laughs> First of all, he has, he has great taste in books. <laughs> ah, I wonder where he got that from. But um, no, I think whatever he wants to read, he should read if it's exciting to him and same for my six-year-old. Um, I don't, I don't agree with like book prescriptions, I guess you could say, where like, yeah, it has to be literary, it has to be highbrow to be um, worthy. I think there's merit in most literature. And if it's, if it's something that gets a kid to be interested in reading, like that's a-okay with me. But I yeah, wonder, of course I, I judge, I actually judge adult novels when I'm reading them. I was like, where's the editor here? She really stepped out for a, like a long coffee break during this section, so. That's, um, I do that as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you have to, especially books where everything could have been more concise or there's like five mm -hmm. characters too many. You're like, what were you thinking to let this go? But yeah. speaking of letting go, I'm going to have to let you go because oh. uh, according to my squinty look at my computer <laughs> block, we're just about running out of time. So oh. I want to thank you so much for um, allowing me to indulge in this experiment with you and also to be available um, at, a, at a time that worked for you instead of either one of us having to get up at like three in the morning yes. to, to do well, thank this. Thank you, Eileen. And um, I, I also noticed that you do um, promote uh, bookshop.org as a place mm -hmm. to buy your books. And I also have been using that a lot yep. because I'm trying to wean myself off of Amazon so yes. for various yes. reasons. And obviously it's just, you know, just short of being able to go to your favorite local independent bookstore, bookshop.org is a great alternative. IndieBound also is good because they will, I think, supply from your independent bookstore. Oh, excellent. Good. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So I'll put up at the end, I'll put up a lot of information about your upcoming books too, so people can keep an eye out for um, what's coming up. And I hope that someday we'll get to rendezvous on the boardwalk in Long Beach together. That would be fantastic. Um, All right, thank Allie. You so much again. Thank you so much for joining me today. All right. You're welcome. 